TV, how you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. We have moved. We're in this new theater, and I give you my word that there's not another church in Clarksville that has more comfy seats than you have right now. So now I know some of y'all are already in the recline position. So I'm going to need you guys to stay awake, because if, if you don't, I'm going to yell at you. So uh, I'm going to come up to you, and I'm going to go, boo! So anyway, you're going to go, gotcha. So anyway, my name's Chris, and uh, I'm the lead pastor at OneChurch.tv, and we're in the middle of a series entitled, uh, It All Starts With One. It Starts With One. And we're traveling through the first few chapters of the book of Acts. So really excited about this series. Uh, Acts is my favorite book of the entire Bible. And here's the reason why, because it really does chronicle the beginnings of the church. Um, I love the church, and not just one church. I love just the church in general. Uh, Jesus died for the church. And uh, I believe uh, that God calls us, at, and I love this because his plan to change the world isn't through a parachurch organization, it's not through a government, uh, it's not through a business model, it is the local church. And I believe that the local church is the best way for this nation to change. So I'm so glad that you're here this morning. And in fact, as I talk about the church, we're going to see the birthday of the church this morning. But when I say the word church, kind of what comes to your mind? Because I, I, I dare say that probably when I say the word church, I, we probably need some defining moments. We need a definition because so many of us, it kind of runs the gambit of what church comes like. Some of you, when I say the word church, it ha- actually has positive meaning. And uh, probably for some of you, when I say the word church, it's a negative thing because you had a negative experience, you had a bad church experience. Um, Whatever comes to your mind, uh, we're going to talk today that the church began as a movement. It didn't begin as an institution. It didn't begin as liturgy. It didn't begin as just tradition. Get this, at the very beginning of the church, there were no Bibles, there were no bands, There were no buildings or anything else that begins with the letter B, right? From the very, very beginning, the church started and it began as a movement. Think about that. A movement around a very, very simple idea that unfortunately that we only talk about usually about once a year. The the church was launched around an event that happened in history. We call it the resurrection event. Of Jesus Christ. And it was this resurrection of Jesus that galvanized the first century believers and brought them together. It was that simple event and the testimony and witnesses of that simple event that launched the local church. The church began as a movement, and regardless of whether or not you're a part of this movement, you just need to know that it is still moving. It is still moving. Because this one person, very smart person, once told me that movements move, right? They just do. Here's the beginning of our big idea today, that the church is a movement. Can you say that with me? The church is a movement. It's not a building. It's not a plan. It's not a building plan. It doesn't just center around Bibles or bands. It doesn't center around lights. It doesn't center around any of that stuff. That the church is a movement, a body of people. We ended last week by looking at this very, very important verse 
in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In fact, the entire book of Acts revolves around this one verse. So as we kind of travel through this book, I really would encourage you, you might want to memorize this because we're going to be coming back to this again and again. And it simply says this, but Jesus is talking here, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the result of the Holy Spirit come upon you, this is what it says, and you will be my what? Witnesses. Now, we talked a lot about what a witness is. We're going to talk even more about it today. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, the the end of this verse explains it. Telling people about me everywhere. And that's what we're looking at today. We're going to see how this idea and what Jesus said here was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, and they told people about Jesus everywhere, starting first in Jerusalem, And then in Judea, that's the country and that's the county, if you will. Then in Samaria, those are the people that you don't like, you don't get along with, or not like you or us or whatever that. And then to the ends of the earth. No doubt they looked at each other and thought, uh, the ends of the earth, Jesus? I mean, come on. Do you know how big the world is? And to, to which Jesus probably smirked and smiled and says, you don't even know how big the world is. You still think the world is flat, right? And you only know the Roman world. But this message, this movement, this gathering, this momentum that we're creating today, it's going to impact the entire world. And guess what, guys? That's exactly what it did. It impacted and changed the world. We learned last week that when the Holy Spirit shows up, God will give you power for them to witness. That's what Acts 1-8 says which is telling people about Jesus everywhere. And get this, Jesus then departed. This little group, 120 group, this band of brothers and sisters, go back to Jerusalem, and they go up in an upper room, and they stay up there, and they pray together. For the next 10 days, they wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They waited for 10 days. And 10 days later, something amazing happened. Ten days later, the Jewish celebration of Pentecost we're going to see. And before I dig into this passage, I'm simply going to say this. This passage, many of you, if you're a Christian, you already have this idea of what you think this means. If you grew up in a specific denomination, you already have this idea of what I'm going to teach to you today. And it can be very controversial. And I'm just going to ask you, for right now, you put all of your preconceived ideas and notions of what you think it means, and let's look at what the Bible actually says. Because you know what? Nobody cares about people's opinions, traditions, or what denominations think. I care what this says and what God's word has to say about this. And let me simply say this. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, maybe this is your first time coming back to church and you're kind of skeptical, I totally get that. I just want to simply say that today, some of the things we're going to be looking at, it's just a little strange. It's a little weird and it's okay for you to think that because I think that. But I truly believe it happened, and what we're going to see is the birthday and the beginnings of the church. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, On the day of Pentecost, everybody say the word Pentecost. I know that doesn't mean anything to us, but we're going to describe what that is in just a minute. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, what is Pentecost? Well, Pentecost... In the original language, just means 50th. 
So if you write in your Bibles, we want to take notes, you can say 49th or 48th, just like there's a number. Well, this is 50th, 5-0. It was in the national Jewish calendar, calendar. It's a celebration that happened 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost is kind of like American Thanksgiving. How many of y'all like Thanksgiving in November? I love Thanksgiving, right? So, I mean, there's good food, and what happens, especially, this is not really a farming community, but in farming communities, I've pastored in farming communities, what they'll do is they will actually start getting everything in the harvest, the combines will get the corn and the soybeans, all this stuff, and then by Thanksgiving, it's all done. And that's when you sit down and you enjoy everything that you've harvested. It's the end of harvest season in the Jewish calendar. So it's like the American Thanksgiving. And what happens in this celebration is that thousands of Jewish believers from all over the world, they come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, which happens 50 days after the Passover. Now, 50 days after the Passover, that means 50 days ago, Jesus was crucified. Because he was crucified on the Passover. So Jesus stuck around for 40 days. And he hung out and taught the disciples, and he actually showed up to a group of 500 people. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And now Jesus leaves, and the disciples and the the women and Mary, mother of Jesus, and his brothers, for the next 10 days, all huddle up in this one upper room. And verse 2 tells us that something amazing happens. And what we're going to see happens is the birthday of the church, the, the, the church being born. And I'll simply say this, what we're going to see today, you can no longer replicate this or reproduce this, just like you can't replicate or reproduce your own birth. It happened once. You coming out of your mom, and it happened, ooh, and everybody's happy, and some people are crying, and you get smacked on the bottom, right? This is the birthday of the church. So that wasn't in my notes, so we're going to keep on going. Verse 2 says this, suddenly... Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven. Now, notice this. It was sudden. And it was from where? Heaven. Whatever transpired and what we're going to read in the rest of this passage did not come from man. God sent it to those 120 people in the upper room, and something that they heard was a sound. Let's look at it. Keep on going. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like... A, the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And you can just leave that verse on the screen, please. Let's kind of look at some of this stuff. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, like. Anytime you see like, you want to say, okay, what does that mean? It doesn't mean there was a windstorm. It was a sound like. It's like this. Some people say when Jesus, that he sweat great drops of blood. The Bible never says that. It says Jesus sweat like there was great drops of blood. So he actually didn't sweat blood. So you see the word like, it means like. All right, welcome to one church, all right? That Greek word sound is where we get the Greek word echo from. It was a deafening noise, like a massive jet taking off, like a C-130. How many of y'all, let me hear you, you've actually heard a C-130 taking off? All right, a couple of y'all, all all right? So, or a 747, right? All right, then, look at this, so there was no sound, uh, excuse me, it was a sound, but there was no wind. There was a sound like 
Now, as curtains didn't blow. There was no movement of air that was, could be felt, kind of like it is in here right now. No one's hair blew. The air was absolutely still, but there was a deafening roar. They heard it. Verse 3, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now, before I go any farther, I'm just going to say that's a little weird, right? If a, if a tongue or a flame of fire, we don't know if they rested on their heads, ever rested on their hands. We don't know. It doesn't really say. But that's a little strange. Can we, I mean, a little bit of, uh, and it, it didn't say it was a flame. It said, looked what? Looked like. All right? So there was no heat. So, but what's so interesting, though, is do you know this all idea of flames or tongues of fire, that this has happened before in the Bible? Fire and wind descending from heaven happened before, but it never happened on a group of people, but on a place. God's glorious, fiery presence filled the tabernacle. Here's a picture of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the directions that God gave Moses, and it was just like this tent of meeting. It's where they met God. Now, God is everywhere, but they met God and they sacrificed to God in this tent of meeting. And when Moses built all of this and God's people built all of this, what happened, it said in Exodus 40 that a flames came down and it indwelt this tabernacle, this tent. So another time this happened was when Solomon built the temple. Here's a picture of the temple. When Solomon built the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, he, he's sitting there, he's praying to dedicate the temple, and, and God moved from uh, kind of the, the, the nation of Israel moved from being mobile to being permanent in the, in the promised land, and God's, his dwelling moved from mobile to permanent as well. And God willing, one day, we're going to move from mobile to permanent as well. Is anybody excited about that? Praise Jesus, all right? So they built this temple that was this permanent location where they can meet with God, but God didn't live in there. He's everywhere. And as Solomon is praying, this sound like a wind, and this fire came down, and God's presence indwelt the temple. So in that same fashion, here in Acts chapter 2, God's fiery presence doesn't descend on a place. But listen to this, on his people. Luke is saying, listen, God is no longer going to live in a temple made with human hands. He is going to live in the hearts of men. Listen to how the Apostle Paul writes about this. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He doesn't live in man-made temples. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives where? In you, in us. You see, God isn't about buildings or places. God is about people. It's all about people. Changing people, living inside people, residing in people. But for that to happen, they need to hear about Jesus and his love. It's interesting that it says the, the, the fire came as like the shape of a tongue. Not a hand, not a scroll, but a tongue. It's as if God was saying, communicate. My concern is for the world, and you can't get the message there without using your tongue. So let it out. 
which leads to the next verse. They heard something, they saw something, and now the most hotly debated one, they said something. Now again, before we get into this, let's remove how you were brought up, what your denomination says, and let's see what God's word says. Because I believe God's word should be our authority. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in what? Other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. The word languages is the Greek word glossalia. And it means, get this, other languages. These individuals, the followers of Jesus, were suddenly able to speak the languages of all of these people that had showed up there for this celebration of Pentecost. People that had come from all over the world, they're in Jerusalem. And they all are all speaking different types of languages. And it's, the Holy Spirit gives the disciples this supernatural ability to be able to tell of God's work and Jesus' death on the cross and God's love in another known language. Don't believe me? Look at verse 6. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. Who's everyone? All the people that had gathered there around Jerusalem. And they were bewildered. Why were they bewildered? To hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. The language there, the Greek word for language in verse 6, is this word, dialectos. It's where we get our word what? Dialect from. Not only did the people gathered in the streets begin to hear their own language, they began to hear different dialects. Now, you know what a dialect is, right? I speak English. Not very well, but I speak English, right? Now, I speak a southern English, right? Y'all know this, right? Now, you go up into Boston, they're going to speak a different type of English. And it's going to be more colorful, okay? It will. You go into, you go into New York City, it's going to be different than Boston. You go to Atlanta, Georgia, you're going to hear a different type of dialect, Right? And you go to Texas, you're going to have a different... That's what we're talking. It was different languages and even different dialects. In fact, look at verses 7 through 11 says. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained? These people are all from Galilee. Yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And then, guess what? Luke lists some of the languages that they heard. You don't have to guess about it. This wasn't some type of gibberish or anything. This was a known language. And here they and here he lists the languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia. By the way, I hear it's very cold in Phrygia. Pamph- I know that was awful. Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans, I hear they're kind of cre- they're creeps. And Arabs. And look at this. It says, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages. Now, by the way, what did they say? What did they say in these languages? They said this, they talked about the wonderful things God has done. Isn't that clarifying? And Luke 
in this list, he lists 15 different languages. He lists 15 people groups that actually hear the wonderful things God has done in their own language. And get this, what was the point of this? Why did Jesus, uh, uh, why did the Holy Spirit descend and give them this supernatural ability to be able to tell of the wonderful deeds that God has done? I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons. Just leave that on the screen if you would. Everybody's there. They're all gathering around Pentecost. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, I want to get this message out quickly. I want this to go viral overnight. And for that to happen, we need a little bit of Google Translate. You know what I'm talking about? We need to get this message out quickly. And that's exactly what happened. That's what the Holy Spirit enabled them to do. And another reason why this was so important is by the Holy Spirit descending and giving them the wonderful things God has done in 15 different languages meant that it wasn't just a Jewish movement. This was for the entire world. I love that. The disciples and the 120 people went out into the city and they began to talk to these people from all over the world in their own native languages. And people from all over the world, they had come to celebrate this feast of Pentecost. They, they, they looked at these Galileans and they said, how can you speak my own language? You're a Galilean. And all of a city, the, 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 excuse me, all of a sudden, the city is in an uproar. And you see all of this happen very, very quickly. I love that. There's a stir in Jerusalem. The significance of it is that all of this happened in a different language. Now, Peter stands up, and he begins to preach. And he, 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 he this is his first sermon, hasn't prepared for it, and he does a fantastic job. I'm not going to have enough time to be able to go through all of it. I would encourage you to go home and read all of it, maybe later today or tomorrow, but we're going to hit some of the high points. This is what Peter says in Acts 2.32. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all what? Witnesses. Remember, remember what Acts 1-8 said? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my what? Witnesses. There it is. Telling everybody about Jesus. So we're all witnesses of this. So Peter is basically recalling and retelling not some distant history, something that happened hundreds of years ago, but something that happened about 50 days ago, less than two months and he says this, so Jesus of Nazareth, people in the crowd are going, yeah, I remember that dude. I remember my aunt got healed by Jesus. I remember when this happened, and, and I remember when Jesus came to town, and everybody was wanting to kill him. And I remember when, yeah, I remember when they nailed him to the cross. They remembered, the crowds remembered. Oh, yeah, I, I heard one of his sermons. I think, I think he fed me once. This was recent history. God raised him to life. I love how that verse reads, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are here, and again, church isn't your thing. Christianity isn't your thing. Let me just kind of tell you what the church, how this all came to be. If you're new to Christianity, you're not a Christian trying to figure it out, this is such an important part of understanding Christianity because these first century believers were not simply teaching what Jesus taught. Christianity wasn't about embracing a teaching. Christianity from the very outset was about embracing an event in history. And the event is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And what Peter is saying is we saw, we were witnesses to this fact that he was crucified. 
A lot of people saw that. And we were witness to the fact that he came back to life. We, not in years ago, but just less than two months ago. We are witnesses of these things, of this fact. And he says this in verse 33 and 36 and 37. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the who? Holy Spirit, and poured out upon us. By the way, that just happened. We, what, what Peter is preaching about just happened. About 9 o'clock that morning. Poured out upon us just as you see and hear today. So, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, and I'm pretty sure he probably pointed his finger, you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. And look, what, what was the crowd's response? Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what must we do to be saved? What must we, what, what should we do? Yeah, we remember, we saw that. What should we do? <clears throat> Verse 38. Peter gives them what they should do. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the promise. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, let's spend some time on this. I got a, I got a little bit of time I can spend on this. Let's, let's break down this verse. Repent. The word repent literally means to change your mind. And if you change your mind about something, you will change your direction. That's what it's talking about here. He's saying you need to change your mind about who you think Jesus is. Some of you are here this morning and you need to change your mind about who Jesus is. It, 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 you have this idea of, yeah, he was a good teacher. Uh, yeah, he was this religious person. And all that is true, but he's so much more than that. You need to change your mind that he is the Messiah. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. Without Jesus, there is no life. If Jesus isn't in your life or in your heart, you are hopeless. you got to change your mind. And I promise you, if you change the way you believe, it will eventually change the way you behave. It's one of our core values. We believe that if you change what you believe in, it will change your behavior. It will. You cannot help but changing. And it says this, so you must repent, change your mind, and you've got to turn away from your sins, and then turn to who? God, and then be baptized. Now, again, we're going to talk a lot about this next week, but baptism, you know, some of, some of you, you've made a decision about Jesus a long time ago, and you're like, I just don't know about this baptism thing. And I, let me pray about it. Do you know that you don't have to pray about that? See, the reason why some of you, you're spiritually stuck is because you refuse to take your next step to get closer to Jesus Christ. You've prayed, you've asked him into your heart. The next step is you need to be baptized. Now, what is baptism? Baptism is just showing, it's a symbol, showing that you identify with Jesus. Now, again, I know some of you, you were baptized as a baby, and I get that. You may have grew up in a denomination that, you know, a, a, few, a few weeks after you were born, they christened you and they poured water on your head. And I'm not trying to cheapen anything that you went through. 
But know this, every time the word baptism is mentioned in Scripture, it's always about somebody who, who, who can put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it always happens after they pl- put their faith and trust in Jesus. This is how, look at, look, look at this order here. First, you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Then you will have a relationship with God. And then you are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And I love that. I love that. That, that, you, that happens after you begin that relationship. And then, look at this promise. As soon as you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you will, be, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he went on. This promise, verse 39, this promise, talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, is to you... And is it supposed to just stay with you? No. It's also to your children. And let me just say this. Let me stop here. Some of you, do you want your children to grow up acting the way you do? Now, don't answer that question out loud because that's kind of convicting, right? Do you want your children to grow up getting serious about their relationship with God? If you do, listen to me, you have to be consistent in coming to church. Let me tell you, there's this huge trend going all over the world right now, but especially in America. You know what? I go to one church. Oh, when's the last? No lie. No lie. I'm, at, I'm, the, I'm at the cookout the other day. And I'm talking to this lady, and I'm going to, hey, I was going to build this relationship with her. I was going to invite her to church. I says, hey, do you go to church anywhere? Yeah, I go to one church. Okay. That's cool. I'm glad you go to one church. Um, and she didn't recognize me. Okay, cool. Um, when's the last time you've been? Oh, it's been th- three or four years. Well, you know what? We'd love to have. We'd love to have you. But, uh, and I didn't. I didn't embarrass her. By the way, I'm, I didn't do that. I says, I, you know, you ought to go back, right? Um, when I meet other people who go to great churches around town, Awaken and Grace and First Baptist and Life, great. You keep on going there. We're not all about stealing other people. I know some churches are about that. We don't do that. We want to reach people nobody else is reaching. And that means we got to do some things nobody else is doing, include meeting in a movie theater with some recliners. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, now, some of y'all, y'all like, what, what just happened? I just woke up. All right, welcome back, right? So this promise is to you and to your children. And my point is, if you want your children to grow up, and having things of God meaning, uh, meaningful to them, then just coming once a month is not going to do it. Now let me just say this. Coming every week just isn't going to do it. Because another thing we believe in our, in our family ministry is what happens at home is more important than what happens at church. See, some of you, Monday through Saturday, you're doing a great job screwing up your kids, and you bring them to church on Sunday, and you want us to uh, uh, un- unravel this ball of yarn you've knotted up. Right? You need to be living it all throughout the week. All right? But you need to be consistent in coming to church. I'm going to be talking a lot about that next week. Now, so it's to you and to your children. And this next one is so cool. If you haven't been paying attention, if I just woke you up, welcome back. Tune in. Look at this part. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all who are what? Say it with me. All who are what? All who are what? Far off. Do you know that all who are far off, you know who that is? It's me. It's you. And it's our children. And it's our grandchildren. 
It is our communities. When Jesus said this, and when Peter said this in the sermon, he was talking about all of us, because none of us in here are Jewish. All of us were far off. All of us were excluded. If you have a little bit of time, read Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, I love how Christianity is for everyone. This is what Peter's way of saying is this. This isn't just a Jerusalem thing. This isn't this generation type of thing. This isn't just an us thing. This thing that has happened that began in our midst just a few minutes ago, this message, this momentum, this idea, all the supernatural power that we're experiencing today, this whole thing is for all. Everyone. This event is going to touch everyone. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The ends of the earth. Those people who haven't been born yet. In places you don't even know about in the story. So here's our full big idea today. The church is a movement for who? The entire world. And what's our job? We are to tell everyone about it. It's that simple. You see, we get so focused on the speaking in tongues and, you know, was it this, was it that? The whole point is they were able to communicate the wonderful things that God has done to everybody so quickly. And it got out and it went viral. That's what these 120 people did by the power of the Holy Spirit, enabling them to get this message quickly to over 15 different languages, 15 different people groups who will leave Jerusalem and go back to their own communities, to their own families, and they're going to say this, did you know that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you know that Jesus changed my life? Do you know that before I heard this dangerous message, I had no purpose in my life? I, had, I, I was wandering, I was struggling, I was wondering... This isn't just a Jewish movement or a Jewish message. Jesus was right. It was for the entire world. And how did they respond? Verse 41, our last verse. Those who believed what Peter said were what? Baptized. Not only baptized, but they were added to the church that day. About how many people? 3,000 people. People. It went from 120 wee, 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 to 3,000 in just one day. That's how they responded. How do you need to respond this morning? You see, I believe that there's people here today. You may have grown up in church, or this may be your very first time in church. If you've never been to church, or maybe you didn't grow up in a church, how you need to respond is you need to ask Jesus to save you. You need to repent from your sins so that you can get forgiveness, what we just read. And then after you do that, then you need to be baptized. And next week, we're going to show you how to keep this, all this momentum going. It's going to be fun. I'm excited about it. Now, if you're a Christ follower in here, what should you be doing? Very simple. Telling everybody about him. That's the point of Acts chapter 2. By the way, that was kind of our big idea of Acts chapter 1. By the way, next week, our big idea is pretty much going to be telling other people about him. That's your job. It's not just my job. 
It's not just a staff's job or a pastor's job. Your job is to tell everybody about Jesus. Because how many of y'all in here, you have a tongue? Let me hear you. If you've got a tongue, then you can tell. You can. You are called to be his witnesses. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray specifically right now for those who are just, they feel apart from you. They feel disconnected from you, Jesus Christ. They came here today and they were hopeless. They were desperate. Desperate to grab onto something, some truth, some shred of hope. The good news, Lord, that you give us today is you don't just give us a shred of hope. (laughs) Oh, God, you give us this massive belief, this reality that you rose from the dead, that you conquered, that you are alive today. And, Lord, that should give our lives meaning and purpose. So, God, I pray for those right now who need to begin a relationship with you, that they would do that right where they're at right now. They would talk to you and cry out to you. God, I need you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. God, for those Christians, those Christians who are here today, so many times we can get cynical. And Lord, the good news has really become old news to us. And we keep on saying, gosh, I want to go deeper. I want to go farther. God, we are going verse by verse through the book of Acts. And one of the the things, the biggest things we're learning is we're called to tell other people about you. To not get over the fact that it's not about us. It's about connecting those who are far off, just like Peter preached to a God who died for them. Pray, God, that we would never forget that fact. That you love us. So much that you gave your son. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Guys, next week, next week is going to be a pivotal week because we're going to see this momentum that's happened with the church, how to keep that momentum going. Some of you, you've been in church for a while and you're like, I I just feel like I'm just tapering off. How do I keep that momentum going? You need to show up next week because we're going to be talking about that. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. Guys, who is the church? You are. Go be the church. Thanks for hanging out with us.